Hello folks and welcome to another episode of What's The Scene and we play the game as we always do at the very beginning where we drop a few hints. We do. Uh, and the, we're going to drop a, a hint today uh, about um, a, a fellow, fellow who's in it. It's called, um, what's he called? Richard? Well, he's, no, he uses initials. No, I don't know if anyone knows what his actual first name is because never, you never hear it. No, it's you do. It's, it's Richard. Oh, Richard. Oh, his name. second name. Sorry, it the might second. Be e. It might yeah, be for it, Edward. It, for example. it could be for Edward. Yes. It could be a story that features two somewhat overly confident, uh, no aspiring actors. Yes. Well, resting actors. Dispiring. Dis dispiring alcoholics. <laughs> They're resting. That's what the actors say, don't they? Yeah, we're resting. We're resting. Mm. Rusting. Resting. So, um, but. What else? What else might we say about this? No, oh, we'd say it was one of the uh, quintessential movies about the sixties. It's almost like an English version of kind of Easy Rider. It's a two-hander, yeah. kind of, yes, you know, yeah. uh, with uh, extraneous, not extraneous, uh, uh, integral characters uh, that are archetypes of that particular period in time, i.e., the late sixties. And we have spoken about this before, this road movie it factor. Is, it all keep, tends to keeps coming back. It's like a some, flashback I think we've exposed from the 60s probably that for many decades Hollywood and associates have been exploiting the road movie genre in, in possibly in ways that we haven't uh, always identified in the first instance for instance Psycho is a road half movie half of it it's, it's an incomplete absolutely <laughs> brutus, brutusly incomplete road movie <laughs> it is it's a <laughs> None of them really have happy endings. But, uh, <laughs> that in particular doesn't, doesn't uh, fit up the <laughs> But uh, this is kind of a road movie too because they set off in that uh, you know, crazy old jag with the one light. Uh, and and uh, what I like is one light works and one uh, windscreen wiper works. So I wonder if that's... Uh, uh, I wonder if people are starting to guess it now. Yeah, all right. So we'll... To see uh, Uncle Monty. I'd see Uncle Monty. And who are we talking about? Of course, we're talking about the, uh, the, the no-hoping... Um, Duo out of uh, with Nail and I, with Nail and I, yeah. which is uh, well and truly worth a Google search, and you'll find I almost predict that on Google on YouTube you would find most of the film represented in little four or three minute um, snippets because every sequence in this film it's is, a winner, is iconic it? in some way. It is, it is. Hmm. Uh, you know, there are there, it's archetypal, um, and I think the one that you know, we don't talk about it sort of archetype, but no one ever talks about it. This is what I like about our particular show is that people go, eh, was that in there? Well, it's true. And, and it is, it, but it's a great scene. It's the uh, tea room scene. The tea room scene. Because everyone remembers them being ousted out of the hotel. Yes. Know, yes. Because of the Ponce line. <laughs> and of course, Richard E. Grant said, I have a bad heart. And so you, you're still reeling from that. You don't actually, this sort of slips under the, under the uh, radar. But I think it's integral to the 60s and the attitude of, uh, and the young versus age, I guess. It is, well, probably the one sequence in the film that puts two uh, cultural elements, if you want to call them that, really starkly opposed to one another. Mm. For the most part, the boys, with the exception of Mo um, Monty, what's his name? Uncle, Uncle Monty. Monty. Uncle, Uncle Monty, who, who clearly played the day. <laughs> who clearly represents a different social class. Mm. But in this sequence, 
it does sort of separate itself a little bit from the rest of the film mm. because we see the two no hopers. We've probably got to think of a better word than that. Mm. No hopers come face to face with well, the establishment. Resting, resting actors. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I suppose the old people in the tea room are well, the establishment, aren't they? Look, you could have that. I mean, they could be Brexiteers today. <laughs> you know, there there were people back then who would say, uh, England, I'm off to the continent. That's how they used to, um, you know, mention the rest of Europe, for example. It has not changed one whit, because I'm sure those same people, having grown older, probably voted for Brexit. So we're actually seeing a, a great archetypal English series of stereotypes um, that are very close. They're not, they're not, um, uh, you know, they're not exaggerated. They are real people. You know, those actors in there, they're not actors. They're real bourgeoisie. They are. And it seems to me that the English do stereotyping really well. Mm. It's like you said the other day, we're talking about Godfather and we're talking about that whole genre of gangster movies. Mm. In their own way, taught gangsters how to be gangsters. Yes. And uh, for some reason, I think that the English enjoy being pigeonholed. Yeah. Well, they <laughs> they like, like knowing where their well, place is. They love taking the piss. You yeah, know, they, that's they, true. They, do, they did have a great sense of humour. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, witness... Um, Past tense. Well, witness, uh, I was reading something the other day about uh, you know, 2012 and they had the... Um, the uh, celebrations for the um, Olympic Games and the, at the start of it, it was multicultural. Everyone was in there. There was a bit of James Bond, and I remember reading that everyone was having a good time and everyone was relaxed about being multicultural. And now it's all gone to shit very quickly. It's true. It? Yeah, that's true. It has, hasn't mm. it? I wonder if uh, it's always there. I think in the scene, in the tea room scene, mm. there was always that residual kind of class consciousness, uh, and you know, Britain first. And um, you know propriety. Well, yeah, that's this sense of appearances, mm. and that's what the old, the older people in this particular scene, obviously, are the flag bearers. Well, there's another Olympic Games reference. Oh, indeed, indeed. Yeah. Flag bearers of a, uh, of a, a type of England that's never going to go away. Mm. It just doesn't seem to deteriorate. Yeah. Yeah. Which is which is strange for. Posturing generally, the patina fades, the paint will flake off the wall eventually. But no, yeah, well, you know, as opposed to America, we could get in trouble with this. I mean, America is always in the process of becoming, and what we have in this scene is, is what always, in some ways, always was. Uh, and you keep those appearances up, you know, witness, I don't know, Basil Fawlty. I mean, what are the archetypes there of, yeah. of all these people who want to maintain? You know, the Britain, you know, uh, will never, 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 you know, these things. Yeah. And they will certainly not have the impropriety of two resting <laughs> actors <laughs> who are absolutely hammered. They are. They burst out of the pub. Yeah. Um, and they're going in there to soak up you know, the <laughs> cake, to soak up the booze. Um, you know, I think, uh, uh, you know, it, it's a recipe for disaster and uh, a of cultures. Whenever I hear that phrase, we've got to something to soak up the... The alcohol. I suppose today it's the it's the kebab, but I don't know how much soaking the kebab does. No, not especially when Richard E. Grant is eating. Uh, I think he's drinking gin and cider, which is a particularly pommy combination, yeah, isn't it? It is. Mm. Yeah, yeah, gin and cider. Mm. Well, of course, today it'd be some artisan 
uh, you know, bespoke, crafted cider from somewhere on the continent. So somewhere on the continent, yes. But it, oh, the pears facing the on the south bank of the hill. Yes. Yes. And the hops, the afternoon sun from Spanish from Spain, and the um, in and the uh, and the malt from somewhere else. Propagated Not anymore. They'll go back to Watney Red Barrel now because no one will flog their beer to them because they won't be allowed in and that's tough. Well, that's right. See and you in Dover. And, and Cider will be a place, won't it? Cider, cider will be the name of a town in, in well, France. I think they actually make cider there, so I'm not sure. They, 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 all they're drinking. So you'll never hear that word again. No. Cider. You won't be able to say that word <laughs> in public. <laughs> be like, you mean what? you would like some fermented apple juice? <laughs> apple juice, yeah. Well, we can get that. Sparkling. sparkling, sparkling fermented apple juice. Anyway, we slightly get off the point here, folks, which is almost the point of this podcast, by the way, in case you haven't worked it out. Uh, what I do, I do like this idea of the soak up. Mm. You know, how really, like, uh, are the are the breathalyzer units sensitive? <laughs> what led to the soak up? <laughs> Well, I, you know, I've forgotten where they're going, but it's got something to do with Uncle Monty or something like that. He's uh, well, he's they're, taken they're them into to town. Him. Yes, he's taken them into town. So, because <laughs> they've arrived at his cottage without gumboots, right? And he thinks, well, that's totally ridiculous. Yes. I'll take you into it town. It won't do. It won't. It won't, simply won't do. Mm. I'll take you into town and give you said money for said gumboots, mm. which of course they then drink. Speak. From the yeah, mm. on the, and, they, and they get um, plastered. And the necessary soap. No, it's it's Richard E. Uh, he's Uncle Monty. It's his Uncle Monty because I think yeah. it is because there is a slight. I love the byplay in this because the younger man who I can't remember Richard E. Grant is obviously he, he's got that. Uh, there's a bit of upper crust to him, isn't there? Like he has Uncle Monty. Was the other fellow um, who he ultimately can su- succeeds is come is comes from a not another side of the tracks necessarily, but someone who was. Um, you know, worked his way up gradually and has become. He seems, you know, he seems more authentic. Yes, and more proficient of what. Yeah. So there is, in this way, like in a lot of English movies, slight gaps and uh, differences in class. Yeah, even within the dynamic of their relationship. Absolutely. The That's because what I'm saying. I was going to say with Richard E. Grant. You because could, Richard E. Grant. You can take the man out of. Yes. He's never, high rock. Well, he's never washed the dish in his life. High society. You know, he, doesn't, he doesn't do work. Yeah, but you can't take the high society out of the, out of the man. Absolutely. Right. Mm. So we, we have a sort of cultivated man who's turned into a kind of uh, bright daylight vampire. If, <laughs> if, you want, if you look at him, you know, his hair's slicked back and it's, there's something kind of uh, greasy about him, uh, a bit like the Bela Lugosi sort of thing, you know, and he's pale, you know. And, um, and, we come I, back to and, and he probably goes back all the way back to uh, Oscar Wilde. You know, yeah. you, could, you could you could trace, you know, elements from from that. Well, it's like you were saying with the last uh, podcast, and we're going to be cross referencing all over the place, folks. So, so I hope that's okay with you. But it's the the dark elements being misplaced in terms of well, it's all happening in broad daylight. Again, yes, yeah, yeah, with, quite right. Yeah. Which is uh, like the, yeah. Uh, Sky Psycho flips the flips the noir genre. Yes, Chinatown. Chinatown flips the noir genre mm. in that way, and in, and it's very I hadn't thought of it that way. But he's so he is he's a he's blood sucking in more oh, than well, one way. He, he's a, the aristocrat. Um, he's almost like the picture of Dorian Gray, isn't he? I mean, he's, he's <laughs> there's something fermented about him, 
and mm. uh, and it's that um, you know when you're saying um, you know this sort of wasteful uh, character about him. I mean Hogarthian, yeah. if you like. Um, you know the the running down of, of some <laughs> some boy who was you know once you know pure and innocent into a yeah a kind of slumming vampire. I don't know. <laughs> I mean I'm just making this up. But there's something about him where it's something more wholesome about his offhander, offsider. You know. Well, he's it's a necessary interplay like there has to be that contrast has to be in place just mm. in terms of the narrative working mm. like you and I wouldn't work if it wasn't for the fact that I know less or something yeah. or one of us knows less we, have we worked or out we owe so much money <laughs> is that would that have something to do with that yeah, absolutely that's a good <laughs> we are Lord, we, we have all the time all the instruction I've given you and you, then you come out with that. Uh, uh, no, no, we are doing this podcast because we owe for free. Money. <laughs> we owe money. They they came to us. They said, "Yolly, you, you kneecaps." They went. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, pay up. We'll do a podcast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. The, 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 the bailiff and the sheriff just went away on their horses. There. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. But there there are different um, uh, classes within England, and uh, I think that's interesting because the uh, and they both feed off each other, I suppose. You know, because uh, Richard Grant sort of needs. Uh, him, uh, the other character, uh, to you know, do the work, um, you know, be the um, the the homemaker. I don't know. I don't want to know where I'm going here, but there seems to be a kind of uh, campy overlay to this uh, because yeah. it's said, you know, oh, your pons or whatever, and uh, so they do travel around uh, in that in that uh, pair. But that's what happens in the sixties. You know, you 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 live with someone and mm. you didn't give a rat's. And if you're both actors, you're both feeding off each other so it's a mutually um, beneficial relationship that yeah. they have and you could you could get by with a handful of coins in your pocket and, and mm. you, you'd make ends meet like I don't think people make ends meet anymore do they really well they do well you only just starve in this, in, this, in this country you don't yeah. starve you know That's easily but no. back in the old days <laughs> you have to really be committed you'd have to go <laughs> You'd have to want hard. to do it, you know. Uh, in fact, some people pay a great deal of money to start, you know. They Botox this and they start that <laughs> and they, it. yes. Mm. I love it. That's the very different uh, way of living. Of course, you could, the most, it feels a little bit at times like they're choosing poverty as a, as a kind of uh, means to an end in uh, that end is not. It's, it's of that sort of pleasant. Young, the young ones oeuvre, isn't it? That yes, uh, you know, you you had to w live on the money that you had, yeah. and in those days, you had a doll over there, in the same way that you had it in this country, where you spent a great deal of it on drugs, uh, <laughs> <laughs> booze, and cigarettes, and um, did. and you know, tried and true. I mean, they did. Yeah, they did. Not yes. us. Oh, Clearly not. No, 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 no. I spent my doll money on how doll. on what. <laughs> I <laughs> swear, uh, on uh, on the poor on the development of self. Yes. Let's just let's put it that way and say no more about it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> no, do go on. <laughs> stories. You fascinate told. me with your stories of poverty. Uh, yeah. We all have them. I grew up in Tasmania. That, that, that's, that's all I yes. need to say. For, for whatever it, whatever it was that I was uh, of particular favoured me at yeah. the time. I didn't have to pay for it. Tasmania was way. the centre of the world for you. But if this podcast goes out to London, Paris, Rome, Manhattan, you know what I mean. I know. So yeah, I know we'll go, where? Where? Um, oh, well, it's 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 Googleable. That's a word. 
Now, what I this this scene in itself, and many of you are probably thinking, what's that scene? And you, you and you're stopping this podcast right now. Fair enough. And you're going to YouTube and you're saying, let me have a look. Mm. And then now you're back again. That was a quick. Hopefully, <laughs> oh, edit, edit. Should I put an edit stop in there? Maybe I should. <laughs> no. But, but you've come back. Yes. I hope you enjoyed watching the clip. Mm. But you'll notice, you ask a question, why have they isolated this scene? Mm. And I personally, it's this quintessential Englishness about it. Mm. The fact that there's the dis- dis- disheveled, disorganised, but posturing mm. thing that's going on, as well as the, the I guess what we call an authentic kind of posturing mm. that is just as, uh, just as thin. The veneer is just well, as thin. That's what I'm saying about Richard E. Grant. Uh, Richard E. Grant mm. is posturing, saying, I demand... The best wines, you know, known to man, and I want them now. And so, in a way, is that far different from, uh, you know, the clientele in that in that uh, shop itself? This is sort of demanding aristocratic, uh, you know, slam down. He's and, always uh, playing to that audience. Isn't he? Yeah, he is. You know, and yeah. uh, and the other fellow there was just so hammered he's going along with it, yeah. but normally would be intimidated by it. That's yeah. what I like about the scene. There's yeah. a very there's a very freeness to it, and of yeah. course, it's um, I have a theory. I call it my Michael Douglas theory. Oh, and this is good. Oh, yeah, no, please. No, no, Michael Douglas theory. And there's a doctorate in this for someone who wants to do media studies and things like that. That he, Michael Douglas, let's say, was born in 1942 with Van the Man and you know Keith and you know all those people. Well, every film he's done has sort of pinpointed um, their rise to eventual um, uh, stardom in the world. You know, every every film has been um, part of a a process for white men to rule the planet and yeah. the baby boomers. You know, it's really for baby boomers. We're talking about baby boomers. And in this case, too, it's the baby boomers at, you know, in the late 60s. You know, there was 1968, you've got, you know, violence in the street. Baby boomers usually got everything they wanted. Yes. Yes. Maybe yes. not now. I mean, maybe a lot of baby boomers have gone broke because they've, they've spent all their money. Well, they've stuff. got they've but got I people find my this, age. This is a great school. baby boomer movie, if you ask me, because yeah, it's about right. the sixties, mm. and the kids in there are like uh, twenty four or five. You know, you can you can pace it back. And Michael Douglas, if you if you ask me, uh, all his movies you know, trace the baby boomer success, I suppose, where they've actually appropriated, burnt everything, used mm. everything buggered everything up um, mm. and, and now are defending everything. You know, mm. witness Donald Trump, possibly. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're talking about a classic baby boomer there who is now sort of doing the last, you know, fortification of uh, white supremacy uh, and uh, economic prosperity for a certain age. He's, uh, he's yeah, I, I never l- thought to look at him Donald Trump, and, and this is not a political show for folks, no. except for this. Except this to is say, another diatribe. Except to say that it's suddenly become political. Mm. But as a baby boomer, but in a very one, two-dimensional kind of way, mm. isn't he? Really, he's like who Trump? Mr. Yeah, Trump. Trump. Yeah, President Trump. Uh, pro, indeed, POTUS. Po, po, Potter, President Potter, of the United States. President POTUS, of, you call him. Is it POTUS? Here? POTUS sounds like um, something that you would put on his head if he was uh, had a bad cold. Um, Honker POTUS? Honker POTUS. Honker POTUS. <laughs> it sounds like, a, <laughs> sounds like a story that well, Nathaniel Hawthorne would write, wouldn't he? Uh, possibly. Well, well, well appointed <laughs> comment there. 
Um, there's something a little bit because racist about it too. I'm not going to expand. Well, that. this is why um, you know Trump calls um, uh, Elizabeth Warren Pocahontas. You know, um, there's nothing that can't be pulled out and used and exploited. Mm. Uh, mind you, Donald Trump would have only ever seen the Walt Disney films. He wouldn't have actually read the book. Which ironically has Mel Gibson voicing the uh, European. Well, it's a tight fit, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he, we, must talk, we must talk about that film next time. I think we should talk about Mel Gibson at some stage, but the thing is he might end up behind us, you know, uh, with a gun, uh, he, and he our time might be up. He understands... Uh, he knows how to... Uh, land a few punches uh, maybe he knows how to receive a few well he does too he knows how to throw a phone I know it's someone else anyway equally Australian I think sorry New Zealand (laughs) which is equally Australian (laughs) (laughs) I'm not comparing them to Australians Tasmanians now the beautiful thing about this scene uh, given all their posturing is that ultimately they do get picked up by a limousine. That's the beauty of it, isn't it? And I, I saying, love that ironic, you know, and the English do it well. Mm. Uh, either the the way that the um, the manager says, "Call the police, you're yeah. drunk," mm-hmm. and all these challenges, yeah. and he goes, "Or oh, you're getting a balls." He comes yeah. back. <laughs> and that's what I like about Richard e. and the script. Actually, it's a very tight tight script, of course. Mm. Did you know that uh, George Harrison, I think, stumped up the money for this? Well, it wouldn't surprise me. Mind you, it would have been, what, one day's wage for him, possibly? Well, you know, it really depends how much he made. You know, if he was a Beatle and, um, you know, playing Shea Stadium, yes, he might have made a great deal of money. Maybe he did. But uh, all I know is that uh, John and uh, Paul, you know, made money every day from copyright of their lives. Yeah. This is, you know, this is true. Mm. But, um, you know, so he made movies. He actually saved um, Monty Python. I think he put money into Monty Python and the Holy Grail, I think it was. Well, um, he, he's in the life of Brian. He's actually an extra in the life of Brian. Is he? So was uh, it Life of Brian? Well, that maybe he it was, but he was sort of behind some of the, you know, quintessential zany, um, was he loved Monty Python anyway, um, mm. you know, zany English movies and, and more credit to him. So we have to thank the Beatles again for uh, the landmark civilization. I think. Yeah. You know, yeah, civilization exactly. Well, civilization is a Western popular culture understanding. As we know it. As we know it. Civilization as we know it. Spock. I'm sorry. There's just just something very (laughs) ironic about that. Not as we know it, Spock. (laughs) I'm giving it all I've got. Oh no, that's different. But what like in the um, in the uh, tea room? Is it you know if you go to England, you go to these tea rooms. It's an institution. Mm. They're tiny. They can fit into a place that's uh, you know about the size of four telephone boxes, and all you need is three tiny little tables. You will find two ladies of uh, indeterminate age um, mm. who may have hair of indeterminate colour, <laughs> holding poodles of indeterminate <laughs> breeds. No, actually, sorry, very certain breeds, <laughs> which you do find in this because of the little cutaways there. They have these uh, ladies who have. You can tell that they're related or have a relationship or whatever, and they've got the they, they've got the the dogs in blankets and things like that. Mm. It is a very English kind of uh, tea room. Well, you you would tell the story of the where they wouldn't serve coffee. No, if you oh. wanted coffee, you'd well, be asked to leave. You you'd be you 
you would be forcefully removed, which thankfully our By two the police. our two no hopers weren't no. subject to. Well, they didn't. They, they, ma- <laughs> they didn't get time enough to. That's right, and they made the correct choice in choosing tea in the first place. Oh, and the best wines available too. <laughs> it, it scaled up very quickly, didn't it? <laughs> to humanity. <No. laughs> Not only wine, but the wines, the best wines are known to humanity, <laughs> and we want them now. I, I had a question in my head saying, well, what differentiates the wi- best wines available to humanity as opposed to the best wines available just to people? <laughs> like, why that word, humanity? Well, I, I, think, I think it just goes oh, you know, terribly off script. And I think that this is the beauty of this, of two-handers, is that they'll say, here's your scene, and then they probably add to it. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. like this podcast, you know. <laughs> we don't know. I mean, we, we do know what we're talking about vaguely. And so they've gone in there crashing into this yeah. little place which has a little tingle and little bell yeah. with ladies with dogs and uh, a proprietor there with his hairy high pants, you know, the big belt and all that sort of stuff. And they're all 65 or 70 um, and, you know, very old. And um, and these people come in and you know crash that party. You want it's a crashing of yeah, class, isn't it? Yes. Boom, crash. Yes, that's well put. Which is that's what the film's doing as well. I look at that scene and I think to myself, which came first, the old person or the cardigan? It's a, it's a that is a you know, there's a doctrine in there. philosophical thing to unpack. I think so. Or the patch on the, the cardigan. Oh, that must well, have come later. That you would think so. Yeah. Mind you, that would be an interesting endeavour to build the cardigan around the patch. But I'm sure it's been done. There were doctorates <laughs> were bristling with doctoral notions anyway, on this. If you have the ambition... The Michael Douglas. Try the Michael Douglas. Follow his filmography. Yeah. You'll see the, um, the, the genesis and completion of the um, um, baby boom. The baby boom mm. story. Mm. Oh, I, I see, see that as a, as a notion. Anyway... Um, in this though, uh, Richard E. Grant, what mm. we're doing in this film though, I've got, uh, you know, just to get back to the film, mm. is that the film's very much about the end of the sixties, the same way that Easy Rider was, and and they both share the same last line more or less because when they get to the end, I mean, what's what's the famous line, uh, last line of um, of Easy Rider? Here we uh, go. There's one for the oh. Well, that is it, are we asking the people at home to play? Oh, no. Because I'm, I'm, I'm lost on that one. Well, I have the image. I can remember the scene. Yeah, well, Fonda, you know, sadly departed, says, um, says we blew it. And that's the uh, sort of notion of the, you know, the end of the 60s. It's, uh, you, know, um, you know, Woodstock to, um, you know, the Stones concert, all that sort of stuff. Um, but you also have that... And that scene at the end where they, he's with the Campbellwell carrot, see? And uh, he's rolling a very big Campbellwell carrot, which for the uninitiated is a giant joint that he's putting together uh, at the end. And um, and then he says, almost the last line, he says, I think that all said and done, we blew it. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking that, that's why I say that it's a kind of English version of the end of the 60s and how the 60s, which had so much promise and so much... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, freedom ended up where we are today, and that's when we could bring Brexit into that too. I mean, if you wanted to go full circle, you could mm-hmm. say that you know, plus that on, 
you've got everything that is that was happening there. Everything that was kind of wrong about British uh, separation and, mm. and class, money, and yeah. um, attitude, and things like that. It all come, you know, around full circle in a giant awful. You know, almost leaving out. Um, you know the. 80s, 90s, and uh, noughties of, of um, the, the gleeful acceptance of um, the, you know the um, of immigration, etc. Are we getting too serious? Well, of course we are. Yeah. I hope we, we are. We don't get serious. This but, is but not us. We can we can navigate. We tend to navigate away from seriousness from fairly this. quickly without without mm. predict, without prediction, which I <laughs> well, I certainly appreciate. without predictability. Yeah, predictability. Mm. That's, a, that's a better word. Well, I, what I think is strange is that all the things that we're mocking, like really, with Nail and I are mocking class, the isolating sections of the community. The tea room is a perfect example of that. There, we are now seeing that those, I guess, were stereotypical elements, those classist elements, were actually pretty stridently yeah. fixed in place. They were, they, they were always force and a power that was mm. that was going to its head would rise again mm. and today mm. we are seeing that and trump is a perfect example of that too where it's kind of like well there's this undercurrent of polarization of black versus white of mm. of this uh there is no gray mm. all this sort of stuff that uh, was was always there. It's never it's never going away. But America's got their own story. Yeah. But no, that's, that's another conversation for another time. Yeah. We should do yeah. something like that because I don't think that America ever uh, grew out of you know, the first slave ship that sailed into indeed the harbour mm. in Kingston. Yeah. Anyway, but, but the um, I heard I heard it quite recently. Uh, as a rapper, he said uh, that America is just the hood of England. This <laughs> is not bad. I like that one. Oh, that was pretty good. Or as Malcolm Tucker says, you know, we burnt Washington down in 17, and we'll do it again. <laughs> you know, like, there's this kind of a sort of ownership that the problems have got over it. Absolutely. But, uh, but with this, uh, I was going to say something about um, the the class system um, and the way that you know the English adore it. Um, it's, it makes all the movies. They do. It? Don't it is they? it is in, intrinsic to every um, you know. You having a laugh, all that sort of stuff. You know, this is the thing that everyone now takes uh, the piss out of it because the British always took the piss out of themselves. And I think it's actually gone very serious. And I think, as this podcast has a bit, in that, um, you know, Whitnell's eye is a bit of a, like a, a time, you know, a capsule, isn't it? That's the beauty of mm. it. And we see things reverberate it. And at the same time, it is the time capsule, which was the 60s, where these young men were becoming actors and became a great actors, if you're Richard E. Grant, particularly. Um, not to say yeah. that the fellow isn't. But the, the trick is that you, um, you know, great films do that. Um, you know, we've been talking about Kubrick, and or we will, mm. where they're sort of timeless, but they're timeless, and yet they're very much part of their time. Well, it seems like the narratives in some of these films that we talk about, and I suppose the the ones that are that are attempting to reach to some sort of place that's a, uh, aspirational, I guess, in, in the statement that it's trying to make, and, and uh, with Nail and Eyelid isn't necessarily that film. However, it's the ability to speak to the constants. And that's what I find is quite remarkable, is that a writer can stand back, and we're talking about Ben Elton and, and 
and others, stand back and they can look at, well, what, what are the stable factors in our flawed society, in mm. our flawed situation? Getting harder to do, I reckon. And, and let's see if we can stick them all in a tea room together yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and see what happens. But the beauty of it is, is that they're all very real. This is we're not talking dark mirror here, are we? We're we're talking something that is you know very real. Yes. People undercurrent moving stuff. around. Undercurrent. But it was undercurrent culturally. Mm. Um, there was a shift, a definite shift in power, mm. or or intended shift in power, like the '68 um, you know uh, revolutions. I mean, France could have gone under um, because of, uh, because of the revolutions in the street. People forget this: is that the '60s mm. were a time of great hope. I mean, look at Hong Kong at the moment. Um, they, 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 they go and go and go until crushing force comes in, possibly. But in 68, you did have violence in the streets. You had uh, uh, people being killed on campuses in America. You did have this, this, this great uh, uh, meaningful politicism, and you also had Vietnam and I. And that was the beauty of it. It was, yeah, it's, it, but the culture, I mean, really popular culture, you know, really these days, pro- provides that sort of counterpoint, the juxtaposition. We've sort of lost that a little. Well, yeah, we don't, because it's all, it's through the looking glass, always. It's, it's a reflection on a reflection on a reflection on a reflection. It's almost yeah. like mirroring a mirror in a mirror. And this is where a lot of people have, have That's lost, their, the, lost their bearings, I think. Bruce and Lee ethical movie. And ethical bearings as well, because there is nothing to compare to. Because we've all got Teflon brains now, at least I have, mm. and I'm I'm not I'm sure that uh, young people have uh, saying because you can say something on a Wednesday and, and then you could say witness Mr. Trump is he come back in again and say the direct opposite. <laughs> well, I've tried to fry a few well, the antithetical a few ideas on your brain and it just slips. Well, it's off. fried already. It's fried. It's <laughs> Don't fry things. I think the the takeaway here, folks. The takeaway is. Fried food. <laughs> fried fruit. Not prepared on Jonathan Hewitt's brain. No. Well, unless because you want it. Unless you've got good uh, panhandling skills. That's who, right. if I, you can crack an egg on it, but you can't. We would not get enough heat out of it to do anything else. And when it comes to panhandling, <laughs> <laughs> so to speak. Oh, Lord. How long is this <sighs> punnery? <laughs> There's no one better than uh, Richard E. Grant. Now, I'm anyway, sure what, I, what I did like at the end, though, was he said, no, we're going, no, we'll buy this place and we'll, it will, it will turn you around because we are millionaires. I love the way he says millionaires because that actually meant something back then. And then he grabs the, um, and this is what I like about the, the acting, is that he grabs the, you know, that little, you know, all that very sort of, um, uh, you know, the table, uh, not the tables, the uh, curtains, of that, of that minuscule muslin type. Uh, and I thought he was going to rub his hands on it. And he doesn't, but he just thinks about it. Uh, and that's what those little grace notes there. But he didn't because they've got some style. They have style. They are complete wankers. They are complete uh, drunkards. But they still have style. Yeah. And I think it's very important because we wouldn't be watching the movie or thinking about rewatching it, folks, if uh, you didn't have uh, two... Really Moorish characters in there. They're well, Moorish actors. They're entirely... Not that they're black. I'm saying that they're, but they're Moorish in the, with an E. Indeed, of course, yes. And we are referring to... And it's important because our podcast is talking about culture. Really, We're talking about culture is what we're talking mm. about. And, it's, and the terms need defining. And we, we try our best not to do that because... Uh, when it comes to dictionaries... It would pin us down too much. It, it would, would have to absolutely. be well, accountable... We would. Oh, 
Lord, I hate me. And we'd have to um, pretend that we know more about the English language than is possibly... Or this film. Uh, in the micro, you know, in the microcosm. Of course, yeah. And in terms of microcosms, uh, remember that this is essentially what we're doing. Isolating scenes from, well, movies... We could call it the devils in the detail, couldn't we? Because it's these tiny little films, as the great artists say, you know, it's the... Uh, it's the uh, microcosm, it's the detail, which quite often uh, says more than the entirety. I suppose those little those little moments, they tune the audience mm. in a very specific way, unconsciously. They're not aware. Yeah. Well, they're there and really as a, as a narrative uh, notion, a bit like the restart to um, day two after um, the robbery in Hitchcock. Mm. Uh, there is devices. But it's what you do with them, dear. You know, mm. it's not the, just the device. The device is there, but it's how well you do them. And then, as you say, everything is four or five minutes of absolute icon, iconographic. Did I say that? I iconographic? Do I, did I mean it? Is it a word? word? Yes. No, is it? I I'm like it. I'm going to ring the dictionary and say <laughs> that. Iconography I can get, but iconographic I think I just made up. But, but you do get those little pieces in there, and that's what makes a great movie, is that those little details... And those little scenes are an astonishingly clever because what they do is they bounce off everything else, like facets within a diamond, if you like. Each one bounces off another one, and depending on how you look at it, and also with great works, how old you are. Because if I saw Whitney and I 30 years ago, when it was made, folks, or more, mm. uh, I would have seen it as a, you know, a, a callow uh, youth. And now I see it from different angles, and that's the beauty of a great work. They're like facets around mm. the diamond. Yeah, it's the ability to be able to speak to Constance and somehow mm. not lose any sense of time or place. And, mm. uh, and I tell you what, if, if anyone's full of Constance, it's the English. There's no disputing that. Yeah. Betcha. So uh, if this is the first episode you've listened to, I hope you've got a sense of it. We apologise. We apologise. Have they got a sense of it? I reckon they have. We uh, what we do is we we uh, do the stuff that we like. We speak to the stuff that we like to watch, essentially, mm. and and we encourage you to watch them on, on the strength of it because a lot of people have not seen these movies or, in particular, those particular scenes within that movie. If you've ever watched a movie and thought, I'm going to pause, I'm going to go back a few minutes mm. and watch this again. Oh, people hate me for doing that, but that's what I do. They're the scenes we're looking at. Mm. That's the scene that we're talking about right now. So anyway, I hope you go onto your YouTubes and you uh, you, you check well, see, this. See out. the whole movie for, for as well, you know, as an extent of that, because it deserves to be seen. Absolutely, and it's it is available online, I believe. Is I it? mean, not that not that we. That's not the purpose of the podcast. We're such well, a we're cult s- movie that it wouldn't be. We're not selling any platforms here, folks. That ain't. No, we're doing this for free, even though um, we, <laughs> we're <laughs> driven by the lack of money. Uh, we risk- but it's fine. <laughs> we're it's okay. We're not asking for anything. We don't want a cookie. We do, we're just doing this for the love of it. We're risking kneecapping. Mm. All right. Till next time. <laughs>